Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. The Technion Israel Institute of Technology is where some of Israel's brightest minds ask the biggest question of all. What if? What if they could take on the world's biggest challenges? What if they could develop life-changing environmental, scientific, health, medical, and technological discoveries that will make a huge impact on Israel and the planet? But they don't just ask the question, they answer it too. They turn those ideas into reality. They make them happen. To see just some of the incredible things they've achieved, get the Technion Booklet of Wonders at ats.org slash wonders. We hope it inspires you to give them your support so they can keep doing what they do best. The American Technion Society. World-changing discoveries by Israel's brightest minds made possible by you. Hey listeners, it's Mishi. Last week we released our 50th wartime diary. This week is Yom HaZikaron and Yom HaTzmaut. And as a way of marking this milestone, and these dates, Yochai Meital and I will have a series of onstage conversations in New York and Cleveland. We'll discuss the process of creating wartime diaries, talk about some of the challenges we've encountered, the dilemmas we've had, the insights we've gained, So if you want to hear what covering the evolving story of this war has been like for us, we'd love to see you at one of our events. All the details are on our site, israelstory.org. And meanwhile, wishing us all calm and peaceful days ahead. Hey listeners, it's Mishi. So, as you know, during these incredibly difficult days, we're trying to bring you voices we're hearing among and around us. These aren't stories, they're just quick conversations, or postcards, really, that try to capture slivers of life right now. You know, it's hard being here in Israel. There's real violence, there's sirens, and most of all, there's fear. But being far away from Israel is often just as hard, sometimes even harder, or at least hard in different ways. The war caught everyone by surprise, of course, and since it broke out at the tail end of the Chagim, many Israelis were abroad. What do you do in that case? Do you rush home? Do you continue your trip? Do you wait it out somewhere safe and far away? As it happens, on October 7th, Our producer Mitch Ginsberg was hiking across the Scottish Highlands with his buddy, author, journalist, and friend of the show, Mati Friedman. Here they are. Welcome, Mati Friedman. Thanks for coming in for a chat today. 
Uh, the two of us were very far away when the events of October 7th descended on Israel. Could you maybe describe the scene of where we were? Yeah, it's quite surreal to remember. It was a small town in the Scottish Highlands called Tindrum. And we were on the fifth day of a trek through the Highlands. And it's hard to imagine a place that's farther away from the Middle East or Gaza than this town, which is this kind of bucolic Scottish outpost in the middle of nowhere where the idea that catastrophic events could happen anywhere is almost unthinkable. And we woke up that morning. That's where we were. We had the baked trout for breakfast, I think, at Heather's place. Yes. And then we packed up our our packs and headed out across this moor, this really desolate, gorgeous, but kind of grim part of Scotland, this moor. And it was only in the afternoon when we when we reached our destination that we opened our, you know, opened our packs and took out our phones and realized what was going on. And we had what turned out to be like two or three pretty bad hours of scrolling through what was happening in our part of the world. I mean, I think that's what will remain with me from this experience is this incredible dichotomy between a place that's peaceful and a place that isn't. I mean, the idea that a place on earth could be just torn apart by violence while another place could be absolutely peaceful. You know it's true, but we were really experiencing it. Yeah, I remember each one of us was in a little bit of a private space with their phone and it kept getting increasingly worse. I mean, I remember seeing that a friend of mine was saying that his son was reporting from his army position that he was surrounded and basically parting from his parents. Truly crazy and terrifying. And it just kept getting, I felt like, increasingly uh, dire there. Yes, and it's a feature of the smartphone age because a few years ago, or certainly a decade or two ago, we would never have known what was happening in real time. A war could happen in some other country and you'd hear about it maybe on the evening news or you'd know something about it in general. But the WhatsApps sent by you know, a soldier who's fighting Hamas terrorists on the Gaza border you know, reached you within minutes in Scotland. So we're engaged in the event in a way that makes the distance almost unbearable. There's something surreal about the, the nature of communications in 2023 and the physical distance. So we're worlds away from Israel, and yet we know what's going on minute by minute. And there's some kind of unique psychological stress associated with that that I think humanity has not quite unpacked yet. And then next morning, I said, I think I have to go. Do you remember? And then I asked you what you thought, and I called up the travel agent that I had from a friend of mine, and she said, give me an answer right now. And you were on the phone to home, I think. And it was really sudden, right? It was like, yes. she asked me, what European capital can you get to? And I said, London. And then she said, I have three, I think, or two spots on a plane. Do you want it? Yes or no? And I just remember saying yes at the moment that happened, just having to throw things in a suitcase, basically, and, and head out. And I was hearing something different, which was that the foreign companies would not be flying and that I should wait for an Israeli ticket. And I decided that I just wouldn't go to the airport and sit there checking my cell phone for three or four days, that I was actually, I would rather 
do what we had done the previous day, which is be in a position where I couldn't actually check my cell phone for most of the day while I waited for the flight. So yeah, in a matter of minutes, you packed your bag and set out on a very heroic <laughs> odyssey to Heathrow. And I, in a way that was really utterly surreal, finished the trek over the next over the next two days. You know, when I got to the airport, there were no Israelis. Suspicious lack of Hebrew in the airport. And then I got to the duty-free section and I saw it was packed with Israelis. And then I was like, okay, okay, that's possible. <laughs> the Israelis not letting a war interfere with uh, no, cheap no. whiskey and perfume. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. Laden with bags. At least the Israelis are here. So I know there's a good chance that we'll actually go somewhere. It wasn't only Jewish Israelis. I actually sat next to an Arab Israeli woman and we spoke in English, but I felt that there was a certain amount of tension and I felt that she wanted to stick to English um, throughout the journey. And it definitely felt like people wanting to get home. And also there were those who were, it was clear, were saying they were going to join the war effort. And there was one guy who jumped up, an American, who said something about, I'm going back to serve. And he seemed to be a newly religious person. And he made some impassioned plea about putting tefillin on. And throughout, I just prepared myself for the eventual, like, announcement over the from the from the pilot being like well, we're terribly sorry and we'll be forced to detour to Larnaca due to the war currently taking place in Israel I, I knew there were sirens going off like what are the chances they're actually going to land the plane in, outside Tel Aviv and it didn't come it didn't come it didn't come but I was braced for it the whole time and sure enough the pilot came on in the best British form that I really appreciate he said promptly that there's glorious weather today over Tel Aviv, and we do wish you a safe and healthy arrival. And uh, I couldn't believe it, that he was actually going to lower the plane towards um, towards Tel Aviv. And it was the first time in my life that I actually said a very heartfelt thank you to the to the cabin crew and everything, because it, it felt kind of unique that they went, they did something, and they even said to me, we wanted to bring you home. Tell me what it was like for you. Like, how was the the rest of the trail the next day. Right, so we're getting these increasingly dire reports, but it was you know, surreal not to be in Israel. And yet it was increasingly hard to get back to Israel because everyone was canceling their flights and there were just masses of Israelis trying to get back to Israel, including people who had to join their, their military units, including a lot of people who had to get to funerals. And, and the whole situation was, you know, it was becoming increasingly apparent that this was not another round of violence in Gaza. This was maybe a Yom Kippur war level event, maybe, maybe worse. But I eventually ended up in Edinburgh, and I still didn't have a flight, and I had the bizarre experience of visiting Edinburgh Castle. It's this kind of stark castle that overlooks this absolutely gorgeous city, and I, and I went there, and uh, it has battlements, and, and it also houses the Scottish National Military Museum. So I went there, and I'm walking around with parents and, and children and all kinds of tourists who are in the Scottish Military Museum, which treats war as if it's you know, an archaic artifact of history. So people are looking at these old tartans, you know, the old Highland war dress and swords and axes of various kinds and uniforms from the First World War. And, yeah. and I realized that for these people, war is, it's like the Crusades or something. I mean, it's like Troy. It's something that they've never experienced. It has nothing to do with their, <laughs> their lives. And I'm in this museum as on my phone, like my phone is vibrating in my pocket with reports of you know the the child of good friends of ours um was badly wounded and abducted at the music festival in the south and the son of neighbors was killed at the same festival the guy i worked with 
was killed with his family in his home. A guy I knew from the army 20, 25 years ago was killed in his community. These, this was coming in as I was you know, in Edinburgh and at the castle every day at one o'clock, they fire the cannon. And it's a big deal for the tourists. Everyone gathers, hundreds of people gather on the battlements of Edinburgh Castle. And this soldier comes out, this British soldier, in this very kind of um, clockwork motion, these kind of very uh, regimented steps, and of course spotless uniform. And he comes out and he checks his pocket watch and he looks at it very dramatically and, until at the, you know, at one o'clock on the dot, they fire the cannon. And people started clapping and, and laughing. And I almost like fainted from the from the report of the cannon and th there was no moment that i think better illustrated the the distance you know between where i was and where i was supposed to be at that moment where did your mind go when the cannon went off i've been close to things exploding so anytime anything explodes i uh my my the concussion brings my mind back there and of course i was thinking about you know the fact that my family in jerusalem was uh you know hiding in the safe room as as rockets uh hit nearby and as the interceptors went off overhead so real things were exploding in my home and i was with this fake explosion this like fake cannon in a fake castle uh, where no wars had been fought in i guess several centuries <laughs> Um, you cried? Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, the bagpipes did their thing. Wow. All right, Monty. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. Yosheb San Francisco Alamai Shotef Tainaim Bekachol Yafe be San Francisco Alamaim Shamai 
Infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim. Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.